Welcome, everybody, back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I am here with my cowboy hat and my Coors beer, and Jason is here with his trucker hat and his 1970s mustache. Cheers, Jason. (laughs) What are you drinking that Coors beer for, D? Because I'm thirsty, dummy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. Mercy sakes, mercy sakes, like Lester and Earl and Fred and Ginger together again. Today we're going to be talking about two fantastic buddy movies. I mean, two favorites, right? We got Smokey and the Bandit versus Cannonball Run. Yeah, this is not this is not an easy contest. This is going to be in the realm of Bull Durham versus Major League, where you get two movies that are so stinking good, it's hard to pick one is the best. They are guilty pleasures to the core. I yeah. love these movies. I can put them on anytime, and I'm guaranteed to laugh. So with two great movies like this, we have to ask the question, why are we doing this? What, are, what is our purpose on going to this impossible mission to decide which of these two movies is the best? We're doing this for the good old American life, for the money, for the glory, and for the fun. Mostly for the fun. (laughs) Right, because there's not (laughs) any money. No money. There's no No. money involved here. Before we do that, we want to give a few quick shout outs. A couple of Facebook folks that we want to say hi to. The first one is Ali Zara and Derek L. We noticed he was commenting to folks about us and he messaged us to suggest a matchup. And it's just awesome. We can't tell you the, the most important thing to us is that if you love us, you share us with your friends. That's the best thing that we can have is because we want to make this as big a family and community as we can. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I'm so excited that people are hearing us and enjoying us and sharing it. We got a shout out from a guy named Christopher Weber. He's a physical therapist in New Orleans. Christopher, thank you so much for listening. He messaged us and said that he's sharing with his friends and enjoys us. And so Christopher, thank you so much for sharing us. That helps us get discovered by other people. And then one final shout out to Ken Wilson Jr. He is a friend of the show, always involved with us on Facebook and just a great guy. He had actually hit us up about a Gunter contest. He had created one and we were supposed to do a clue for him. But before we could get together and do the clue together, somebody already already figured it out and won the prize. So uh, he sent us a message that says, looks like we don't need to announce the clue. Someone claimed the prize this morning. A Gunter named Limited from Discord Ready Player One group was the winner. So congratulations, Limited. Ken, sorry we missed out on this one, but we definitely want to do some more Gunter stuff in the future. Can't wait. That's right. We are big Ready Player One fans. So... Uh, all right. Well, let's let's talk about these two movies because these two movies defy reason. You know, we've talked about the Greek structure of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Back to the Future and the hero's journey and the depth in Bull Durham and all of these things. And these are two movies that don't really have a plot. Sure they do. <laughs> I got mean, two guys going to pick up some beer as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> loosest, loosest of terms. So I guess maybe maybe our story begins back in the 1800s when Adolf Coors stows away on an oil freighter across the Atlantic, ends up in America, travels his way out west where he ends up in Golden, Colorado, and is the only guy with any beer making experience. So he becomes the local brewer. And what do they get? We get Coors beer. And that is the impetus for... 
the first of these movies to come out, Smokey and the Bandit. Well, let's talk about Smokey and the Bandit for a second. Okay. Smokey and the Bandit was released on June 20th, 1977. The budget for this, get this, $5 million. Okay. 5.3. Don't forget, $300,000 is a lot of money. Well, okay. $5.3 million. <laughs> right. One million of it went to Burt Reynolds. So that left 4.3. Right. And then they brought in a hatchet man at the last minute. Yeah. And he knocked off a million dollars off the budget. Right. So Hal Needham spent 30 hours redoing the script to get it to where they could shoot the movie for the money that they had to make it with. So let's talk about how this movie came about. Yeah, so Hal Needham is a stuntman. He was arguably the best stuntman in the business for quite some time. Had been doing it for years and years. And he's a good old boy. And as good old boys do, they drink beer. And so somebody got him a gift of some Coors beer. And he wasn't a big drinker, but he noticed that he seemed to be going through a lot of Coors. <laughs> in fact, he seemed to be going through Coors whenever he wasn't drinking. And... <laughs> So he, re he realized somebody was stealing his Coors beer, and lo and behold, it turned out to be the maid. The maid stole the beer, and when he confronted her about it, she was just like, well, my husband just loves this so much, he just says it's the best beer that's ever made, and we're not allowed to get it out here, and so that's why I was sneaking it from you. And that little thieving maid was the inspiration for the whole plot, if you will call it that, of Smokey and the Bandit. That's interesting. This happened on the set of the movie Gator, which was shot in 1976, right before Smokey and the Bandit, and in Gator, you have starring Burt Reynolds. Jerry Reed is the bad guy, and Hal Needham is the stuntman. Yeah, so he just thought, well, bootleg and Coors would make a good plot line for a movie. And you yeah. know what? He was right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so while they're making Gator, he's trying to write the script for this movie idea that he's had. And he writes it all on a legal pad. And some years earlier, I don't remember what the circumstances were, but he was out of home for a bit and said, hey, Bert, can I crash on your couch for a, a few weeks? And Bert said, sure. And then they were roommates for the next 11 years. Right. right. <laughs> so, so he's writing this script on a legal pad and thinks he's got this great concept, got the whole movie written on the brakes of Gator, and he shows it to Bert. And Bert Reynolds says, this is the worst script I've ever read in my whole life, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, originally they wanted Jerry Reed to be the bandit. Yeah, I had to wait for Smokey and the Bandit 3 for that one. Uh, kind of have to mention that the same way we mentioned Superman 4 yep. and Crystal Skull. Hal Needham had a lot of trouble getting any studio to get involved in this or have any interest at all until Burt Reynolds said, you know what, I'll do it. Yeah. Burt Reynolds was the biggest star of the day. The biggest. Yeah. Burt Reynolds said that after he agreed to do this, he had friends that got down on their knees and begged him not to do this movie. <laughs> you got you to gotta just think about that for just a second. Okay. He's the biggest star of the day. You look at the movies that he was doing and you look at this movie that nobody wanted him to do that he said was the worst script ever that was being written and directed by a stuntman who had never done any of those things before other than as a second unit guy. And you got to think, how the heck did this movie become the movie that everybody remembers and practically nobody cares about Gator right, or whatever that movie he was in with Liza Minnelli or any of those other movies that came right. before this one? Right. Name five Burt Reynolds movies and I guarantee you're starting off with smoking the bandit cannibal run yep deliverance probably you know something like that right 
Okay, so as they're putting this together, Burt Reynolds says, yeah, I'll do it. And I got my buddy Jerry Reed, who we just shot Gator, and he's going to play my buddy Snowman in this. Mm-hmm. And he said, I need my love interest. And they uh-huh. said, okay, well, who are we going to hire for this? And Burt Reynolds had always kind of been smitten with Sally Field. The flying nun. Yeah, and she was not really looked at as a sexy actress. She no, was they kind didn't. of a. They didn't think she was attractive enough. I mean, she was cute, you know? Yeah. Baby, baby, baby ducks. ducks are cute. That's <laughs> <laughs> but he really wanted her to do it. And when he talked to her, she thought, you know what? I want to be a little more mainstream. I want to be seen as attractive and sexy. And if Hollywood's number one leading man thinks I'm sexy, then maybe everybody else will think I'm sexy. Sure. And so she was like, you know what? I think I will do this. And especially since she just got done doing a movie called Sybil, which is about a woman with multiple personalities. Yeah. And it's her age weird and on this. They were like, you need to do a big movie. You need to do these. You know, you've you've been the flying nun. You've done these TV bits. You've done the weird Sybil thing. You need to be a part of a movie that's got some big stars in it. And so how nice that Burt Reynolds is the one that's knocking on her door. So then they, they're looking for the role of who's going to play Sheriff Buford T. Justice of Texas. And so they originally looked at this guy, Richard Boone. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, he was on the Have Gun, Will Travel. Have Gun, Will Travel, it's the heart of a man. <laughs> A night without armor is a savage land. Nice. Paladin. I'm, all, I'm getting it all from Stand By Me. I didn't watch that show. I, I, that's where I know it from, too, Stand By Me. But Bert wanted somebody a little crazier, a little more dangerous, and a lot funnier. Yeah, you got him. Jackie freaking Gleason. Jackie freaking Gleason, man. Amazing. I said it just a little bit earlier tonight. I was talking to our friend Arlen about this movie. These are two of his favorites as well. And I said it without Jackie Gleason, Smokey and the Bandit doesn't become the thing that it is. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. In fact, for this podcast, I went through the movie, I watched the movie, and I wrote down every funny line. And I basically wrote down everything that Jackie Gleason says. Right. He's hilarious. These are the two movies. If you pick two movies... From the 70s and 80s that you think of when you say Burt Reynolds, it's these two movies. And in both of the movies, he's along for the ride. I mean, he's great, but he's not the guy that makes the movies. He's just there giving his star power and letting everybody else make you laugh. They call you the band. Okay, we talked about this briefly the other day, but I asked you, who is the best at their role in this movie? Burt Reynolds plays Bandit to a T. I mean, people love the bandit and he's cool and he's smooth and he's funny and he's good It's all about the mischievousness and the laughing at the situation that makes his part in this movie. It's not that he's done some great acting performance. He does... We talked about Eddie Murphy breaking the fourth wall. He does it in both of these movies. Yeah. And it's fantastic because he's letting you know, hey guys, come on, let's go for a ride. Seriously. Letting the audience in. It's great. He's like a redneck James Bond. I mean, (laughs) he's cool and funny and laid back and come on and party with me. We're going to have a great time. Yeah. So Bert does a great job. Yep. Jerry Reed as the buddy as the trucker snowman, likable, funny. He gives the, the flavor of the movie with the trucker talk and the CB. Knowing that saying. he's the villain in Gator seems weird to me because I just he's just seems like such a nice guy. It's hard to imagine him as the villain. Right. He, he's actually a 
I mean, kind of a tough guy. You're kind of scared of him in that. But yeah, at the beginning, you see this friendship when Bandit shows up at his house and basically just moves his wife out of the way and goes into his bedroom. And he's oh like, my gosh. You know, yeah. we got a chance to make a lot of money. And Jerry Reed's like, well, what we got to do? Kidnap the Pope or something? That whole, their friendship is great. You, you, I buy their friendship. But then you've got Jackie Gleason as the sheriff. It's just fan freaking tastic. Everything Sally Field is funny. Sally Field is acceptable in the part. She's pretty enough and sexy enough, and she she's engaging. There's just something enticing about her. And Burt Reynolds, we've talked about. Jerry Reed, we've talked about. But Jackie Gleason is the man in this movie. <laughs> you know, and Jackie Gleason was originally just supposed to be in the car by himself, but he's like, you know what? I need somebody to play off of. Yeah. So put somebody in the car with me. And Mike Henry, Junior Mike Justice. Henry. Yeah. Mike Henry, who's just, I mean, he's like a Greek god. I mean, he's just, he was Tarzan. He was a football player. He was in the longest yard and was one of those tough guys. And he plays that goofy Daddy, the top came off. To a T. To a T. <laughs> he does. I mean, his, the entire dialogue that he has during this movie probably doesn't fill up an entire paragraph, but it is essential for all of Jackie Gleason's comedy. Yeah, I mean, basically his direction is to stand there and be a punching bag for Jackie Gleason. <laughs> and Jackie Gleason's like, you want something? He's like, hush puppies, daddy. We ain't got time for that crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Hush puppies, why? So that's the other thing about this movie. We talked about the fact that Burt Reynolds read Hal Needham's legal pad script and said, this is terrible. Worst I've ever read. Right. They, they didn't have a script that they stuck to. Like, number one, script was just an outline. And then number two, the first day of filming, they find out, oh, crap, we've got to eliminate half of our scenes because of our budget cut. And so it was really just, okay, guys, here's the situation. Make up some stuff. <laughs> right. And who, who better to do that with than Jackie Gleason? In yeah. fact, I mean, well, I know we'll get into all this, but the restaurant scene where Bandit and Buford T. Justice meet was not in the original script, but it was suggested by Jackie Gleason, and it's gold. It's gold. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Cleans his tie off with his coffee. <laughs> Jackie Gleason is spitting in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a Diablo sandwich and a great big Dr. Pepper and make it fast. I'm going to... Hurry. <laughs> and I don't know what, I, I, this is a mystery to me. And if you got the answer, I'd love to hear it because I couldn't find it. So Jackie Gleason says to Hal Needham, we need to have this scene where Smokey and the bandit meet. They set up this scene. He comes in. He's brilliant. Burt Reynolds is really just reacting most of the time. But at some point, either while they're filming the scene or just after they film the scene, Burt Reynolds goes to Hal Needham and says, I'm not doing any more scenes with Jackie. I know that that drives me insane. I wish I knew what the reason was. Yeah. So what I read was there was no explanation and there was no insinuation of anything. Bert was just like, I'm not doing that anymore. And maybe it was because he knew Jackie was killing it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe he felt like he was getting upstaged. That's certainly a possibility. Kind of like sharing a scene with Robin Williams. I mean, you just got to get out of the way and let him go to work, you know? Right. And I can understand if you're a huge star like that, having that concern. But I mean, we're talking about... Jackie freaking Gleason, man. Maybe yeah. it's because he didn't like getting spit on. <laughs> <laughs> I got some Diablo juice in my eye here. All right, everybody, please stick around. We will be right back after these messages. Okay, Jackie Gleason, I don't know if you know this or not, Jackie Gleason was offered a percentage of the gross box office versus a straight salary, but he took the salary and it cost him millions of dollars. Oh, wow. 
Well, I can't blame him. Looking at the situation, I cannot blame him. Right. But, ouch, that sucks. Just to stick the knife in a little bit further, this was the second biggest movie in 1977. Second only to Star Wars, which, you know. Might have heard of that one. Yeah, did pretty well. The box office for Smoking the Bandit, $126 million. On a budget of five. Four. Four. Four point three. And then a million going to Bert. <laughs> right, that's right. Just think about that. Just think about that. Your entire budget, a quarter of it goes to one actor in the movie. <laughs> you have three, or you have 4.3 left to pay Sally Field, Jerry Reed, Jackie Gleason, and buy about five Trans Ams and five cop cars and chase them all over the world. It's, it's, it's insane. So in addition to being in the movie, Jerry Reed wrote Eastbound and Down, which is the key song in the movie, right? Huge. Huge. He wrote it for the movie. Came in, played it for Hal Needham, and Hal Needham just kind of stared at him for a second. And he was like, it's okay. I can go I can go rewrite it. I'll go rewrite <laughs> it. And Hal Needham says, no, this song is going to be a hit. Do not change a word of it. And he was absolutely right. It was Jerry Reed's number one song. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. You, you you walk up to somebody on the street and you say, what do you remember about Smoking the Man? And they're like, well, Burt's mustache and Eastbound and Down. Yep. You know, they do a part where they say westbound and down, like when they're headed over. Yeah, yeah. When they're headed to Texarkana. That's brilliant. Westbound and down, which sounds a little bit funny. (laughs) They make it to Texarkana in like the first 15 minutes of the movie, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They have no trouble making it to Texarkana. Right. Yeah. And why? Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you have less concern when you don't have a semi-truck full of bootlegged beer. It was Coors that didn't want their beer going out anywhere other than the 11 states they had distribution in because they didn't put additives in their beer, then put preservatives in there. And so if you let them get hot, they would go bad really quickly. But they didn't want to spend all the money on the refrigerated trucks. So it was Coors who was fighting the nationwide distribution. It, they just wanted to deliver to their 11 states and that be it. But yeah, they got sued in a couple of different circumstances and finally just had to go, well, I guess we're going to have to spend the money because people want us to. They had become in 11, they were in 11 states and they had become the fourth most popular beer in the U.S. Wow. Number one was Budweiser. The other one was Pabst and the other one was like Schlitz. I mean, it's like two other beers that just nobody drinks anymore. Uh-huh. And and then Coors, which I'm almost done with my second one, so... <laughs> Cheers. You you are thirsty. (laughs) (laughs) Do we want to talk about the plot now or do we want to talk about Cannibal Run? No, I mean, we can can do the plot. I mean, it's going to take about 30 seconds to do the plot. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay, so the plot of the movie... (laughs) The plot of the movie is... Bandit, whose actual name is Bo Danville. Bo Danville. Darville. Sorry, sorry. A quick shout out to to Bo Warmbold, because he's the other part of the reason I'm drinking a beer while we're doing our podcast. (laughs) When we did our podcast with the 30-something guys, shout out to the 30-something guys. Shout out to Bo for drinking a beer. You've inspired me to have a beer while we're doing our podcast. Right. (laughs) All right. So Bandit's real name is Bo Darville. They don't say his full name anytime in the movie. They do mention it. His real name is Bo. He mentions that. But he his handle, his CB handle is Bandit. And he is a truck rodeo superstar. Okay? Because right. <laughs> so there he, are such things as that. Exactly. He's a legend. <laughs> um, 
a legend and an out of work bum look a lot alike, Daddy. <laughs> so big Enos and little Enos are father and son, and they Can we just stop and talk about their name for just a second. Let's just this whole big Enos and little Enos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that it was just purely coincidental that they were going to do that. It was actually not their original names. They had they had different different. Yeah, names. it was like Kyle and Dean or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not funny enough. Okay, not funny at all. Speaking of Enos, I think Enos and Bo. Right? It's, I think John Schneider might have been a been been a cameo. Bo in this Duke, one. Cooter, and Enos right. from Dukes of Hazard. All three of those guys are in this in in, in little bit parts. That's it. You got yeah. it. And Burt Reynolds plays Boss Hogg in the remake of Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Are we, are we back on the plot here? Did we leave? I thought we were done with the plot. <laughs> we're not, not <laughs> quite done with the, the whole plot. thing. Running beer. The end. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so Big Enos and Little Enos are Texas uh, oil barons, as we think. And they just go around and put people up to these weird, strange bets. And so he wants Bandit to get off his butt and accept a real challenge and go pick up 400 cases of Coors beer from Texarkana, Texas, transport them back to Atlanta for a rodeo in 28 hours or less. Why Coors beer? Because he's thirsty, dummy. The kicker is, is that transporting Coors beer east of the Mississippi is bootlegging. And so it's illegal what he's doing. And not only is it fast, but it's illegal. Right. So he gets his buddy Snowman to drive the truck. They're going to put the 400 cases of Coors in the truck. And the, the Trans Am is running blocker, which basically means he gets all the attention from the cops and he runs all over the place and lets Snowman in the clear. Along the way, he picks up a runaway bride, Carrie, played by Sally Field, who's running away from her marriage to Junior Justice, who is Sheriff Buford T. Justice's son. And Buford T. Justice is the type of man who is not going to let some koozie <laughs> walk out on him with her knockers bouncing around. <laughs> Pooned hanging. <laughs> her ass was wiggling too. She insulted uh, my town. She insulted my son. And she insulted my authority. And so she jumps in the car with Bandit while he's transporting this beer, and he makes it his life mission to catch and put away Bandit. Okay, so they get this challenge by Big Enos and Little Enos, right? That's with right. me so far. I believe you're just a little bit scared. Oh, that's great. Why don't you just say something about my mother? Your mama <laughs> is so ugly. <laughs> okay, so can you name me the artist that has had songs sung by, ready for this? Okay. Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Barbara Streisand, Willie Nelson, Kermit the Frog, Luther Vandross, Neil McCoy, and Diamond Rio. Give it to me. It's Paul Williams, the actor playing the part of Little Enos. That's he fantastic. is a prodigy it is amazing i mean he and I, I throw the carpenters in there as well he's responsible for just an old-fashioned love song out in the country family man rainy days and mondays and rainbow connection and this this might be the best the love boat theme love the love boat 
Exciting. That's amazing. It is, right. He is a flipping genius. And he was one of, he, just to throw this in, he was one of the apes on one of the Planet of the Apes movies that John Landis was a part of, too. Really? Bring it full circle. When you say Rainbow Connection, I immediately, why are there so there's many? About about I mean, that's incredible. What a talented guy. If anybody's going to pick up anything from this podcast, it's that we love the Muppets. We love the Muppets. <laughs> we absolutely love the Muppets. We haven't yet had a Muppet movie episode, but we will. Yes, for sure. We have to. Yeah. Well, you want? here's my Muppet tie-in. You ready for this? Other than Rainbow Connection. Cannonball Run, uh-huh. which is the second movie we're going to cover, Yes, was released June 19th, 1981. Yes. We've talked about this on our Superman episode. Right. This, Same. in my opinion, is the greatest two weeks in 1980s movies history. Okay. Maybe in movies history overall, right? It is freaking fantastic. So let me, let me read you. It just blows my mind. So June 12th, 1981, you had, during this weekend, you had Clash of the Titans, History of the World, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. The next week, June 19th, you have The Cannonball Run... Superman 2. The week after that, you have Dragon Slayer, For Your Eyes Only, Great Muppet Caper, and Stripes. And as John Reed would say, no kid had any money in June of 1981. <laughs> All right, everybody, please stick around. We will be right back after these messages. Feel a song that's never been heard. So, so Cannonball Run was released June 19th, 1981. Budget was eighteen million, and it made seventy-two million dollars. Yep, and over a hundred million worldwide, but seventy-two here in the states, and that was sixth best in nineteen eighty-one. And I just read that Murderer's Row of awesome eighties movies. So we talked about the inspiration for Smokey and the Bandit being stolen Coors beer by the maid. The inspiration for Cannonball Run was an actual race. Brock Yates is the guy who put on the race. He wrote for a magazine called The Cannonballer. And he was he's a car and driver guy. He's very into cars, as as we know Hal Needham is as well. Hal Needham, by the way, was in the first attempt to break the, or not the first attempt, but a famous attempt to break the sound barrier on land by driving a car 700 miles an hour. And at 620 miles an hour, he pushed his chute and nothing happened. And then he pushed his second chute and nothing happened. And then he pushed his third chute and nothing happened. And he was like, oh, crap. <laughs> Guess I'm just going to have to push on the brakes with my foot. And he fortunately wasn't injured. But when he went to inspect, and this is all that said, this is crazy to me. He says in his autobiography, and some individual who will remain nameless had poured battery acid all over my parachutes. How do you not name the guy who tried to murder you? I don't <laughs> under, I don't, what? Buford T. Justice poured battery acid all over it. So Hal Needham was great friends with Brock Yates. They he had been doing the Cannonball Run race for a while. This was back whenever 55 became the, the speed limit across the United States. And so they thought, okay, well, we're gonna do this race and it's just gonna be from coast to coast, and everybody gets to pick whatever their own vehicle is. And Hal and Brock Yates drove a Dodge van that they camouflaged as an ambulance had a had a hemi engine in it 
you could put 90 gallons of gas in there. They had four four holes to put the gas in so that they didn't have to sit too long to fill up 90 gallons. You got four hoses going at the same time. And then whenever they hit the road, they were just going until there was a traffic jam. And then they turned on their lights and the, he said the, the cars would part like the Red Sea. I heard him say this. He said <laughs> the cars would part like Jesus parting the Red Sea. I'm like... <laughs> Any of you yeah. boys ever go to Sunday school? Guess not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I remember. Jesus So, yeah, this, this is an actual thing that he actually did with his buddy Brock, Brock Yates. Yes. the This van would go 145 miles an hour. <laughs> and that's how fast Hal drove it. Like when Hal was driving, it was going 145 miles an hour. And the scene where they get pulled over by the cops – that actually happened to him. Like he and Brock Yates are driving this thing dressed as EMTs driving across the country. They get pulled over in Pennsylvania and he's, and they get out and, and they're like, well, where are you, you know, where are you going? Well, this lady's sick. Well, where are you taking her? California, California, Pennsylvania. (laughs) And he was like, well, I, you know, that she's got to go to California. There's something wrong with her. And they're like, what is, why didn't you metaflight her? And they're like, I don't know. Ask the doctor. And as it turned out, they had an actual doctor on in the van with him who brought his wife. And when they opened the door, he's back there just like Jack Elam. <laughs> and they're like, Hey, why, why didn't, couldn't you fly this lady over to California? And he goes, because she has got a serious lung infection. In fact, it's so serious. We couldn't even take the Northern route to California. <laughs> That Not is amazing. Yeah. I, Hal Needham said he thought about getting those guys to play the part of the cops in the movie, but then thought better of it, which is probably a good idea. I don't Getting think. the actual cops to play the cops. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So Did a cop wrong? <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Okay, so Cannonball Run, they thought about making it an action movie with Steve McQueen, but he died. Then they decided, hey, let's call Burt Reynolds and make it a comedy. And they paid him, listen to this, Uh four weeks of work, five million bucks. Yeah. For four weeks. More than the entire budget for Smokey and the Bandit. (laughs) Burt Reynolds said uh, after doing the Smokey and the Bandit movies, after he did Smokey and the Bandit 2, he's like, I'm never driving a car over 35 miles an hour ever again. Right. And they said, oh, yeah? How about $5 million for four weeks? He's like, done. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Hal Needham said when he gave him a call, he was like, all right, I'll, I'll bring this over to you. I just want you to read the script, but they're willing to pay you $5 million for four <laughs> weeks. And Burt Reynolds said, did you say $5 million for four weeks? And he says, yeah. And he says, I don't need the script. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> The actual correct full name of the Cannonball Run race is called the, the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy Dash. Should we go through the plot on this one? Sure. <laughs> I've got 45 seconds. Go. <laughs> 
J.J. McClure, played by Burt Reynolds, is an adventurer who decides to partake in an illegal race across the country using, like you said, an ambulance as cover. There's other racers, including Farrah Fawcett, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., Roger Moore as a very James Bond-like character, and Jackie Chan. They'll do anything, break all the rules to outrun all the difficulties and win the race. Well, you've you've forgotten your foil, right? We've got Buford T. Justice as the foil for Smokey and the Bandit, as much as he is one, because he's really ineffectual. And our ineffectual foil for this movie is Arthur Foyt. Mr. Foyt. (laughs) Who is brilliant, played by George Firth, whose other memorable part is from Blazing Saddles, which shares the commonality with these two movies in that completely politically incorrect. (laughs) yes mr foyt every time he takes on the cannonball something bad happens to him oh my gosh he's such a good part of this movie i I love him and i'm gonna give a shout out to arlen again when we were discussing this he's like yeah you know what i'm i'm pretty confident he was named after a race car driver and i was like what and it turns out there is a famous race car driver from this time period named A.J. Foyt, who did some amazing things, but also had a very memorable like race car toy set. Really? You, remember, you remember seeing the A.J. Foyt racing team? I bet some of our listeners out there will remember that one. I don't remember that, but I've heard that name before. So, so A.J. Foyt was the only driver to win the Indianapolis 500, which he won four times, the Daytona 500, the 24-hour Daytona, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. That's pretty freaking impressive. That's impressive. So there's no question that George Firth's character is named after this guy as kind of a wink and a nod. Mr. Foyt. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this cast of crazy characters, right? You've got Jackie Chan and Michael Hui. Hui. In it's the probably Suzuki. not something anything close. It's probably like Smith. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You've got Adrian Barbeau and Tara Buckman in the Lambo, the Lambo right. Girls. Yep. Tara Buckman, by the way, was also in Sheriff Lobo and BJ and the Bear, which, of course, were TV things that were kind of spawned by Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. You have Seymour Goldfarb, who (laughs) thinks he's not James Bond. He thinks he's Roger Moore. Right, because you can't say James Bond in the movie or you're going to get sued. That's right. (laughs) You have The Sheik, played by Jamie Farr. You have Mel Tillis and Terry Bradshaw. Yeah. You've got Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. as priests in a Ferrari doing the Lord's work just faster. (laughs) (laughs) That Ferrari, by the way, was Hal Needham's car. That was his actual car. So was the, uh, the ambulance. Right, so, so the ambulance that they use in the Cannonball Run is the same ambulance that Brock Yates and Hal Needham used to do their actual Cannonball race. Same which one. They, okay, so I said that it goes 145 miles an hour. They averaged 80 miles an hour. Average. That means including stops and fill-ups and all of that. Averaged 85 miles an hour. were completely in the lead, and then the transmission went out. And just like in the movie, they had to get loaded up on the back of a semi-truck bed. Okay, according to whichcar.com, America's most illegal record has been obliterated. This is May 15th, 2020. The Cannonball Run, which had been the record cross-country from Connecticut to California, was 28 hours. Now, 
it's less than 26 hours. And the reason why is because everybody was off the road in quarantine. Oh, man. The Cannonball Run record has been beaten seven times in the past five weeks. So apparently the Cannonball Run is still alive and well. Time to beat 26 hours. All right, everybody, please stick around. We will be right back after these messages. So a couple other folks that are a little less known. You've got... Mad Dog, who is played by Rick Aviles, but then the other guy who is riding with him, you the no brakes. It's the no brakes gag. It gets him every time. <laughs> we got so no brakes. <laughs> that guy was played by Alfie Wise. His character's name was Batman. I don't think I even knew that. But you know what else Alfie Wise was in? No. Smokey and the Bandit. What? You get that piece of <laughs> off my highway. <laughs> Oh, are you serious? Yes, yes. He was like, and, and, and it's his, his, his evidence in a crap. <laughs> I don't give a crap what it is. You get that piece of shit off my highway. <laughs> don't you raise your voice to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know who else? Okay, so we got Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, Farrah Fawcett, and Jack Elam in the ambulance. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you say Farrah Fawcett again? Farrah Fawcett. Okay. Let's just dwell on that for a moment. Okay. Did everybody just think of the poster? Because I'm pretty sure everybody just thought of the poster right now. Is that what you thought of? That's what I thought of. She doesn't wear a bra the entire movie either. (laughs) I don't think she wore a bra her entire life. (laughs) God bless her. Yeah. You've got Adrian Barbeau and Tara Buckman in the Lamborghini. You've got Roger Moore and a different girl every five seconds in the Aston Martin. You've got Dean Martin and Savvy Davis Jr. in the Ferrari. You've got Jackie Chan and Michael Hui in the Suzuki. You've got the Sheik in a Rolls Royce. You've got Mel Tillis (laughs) and Terry Bradshaw in the Hawaiian Tropic car. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Here, you take this. Keep the change. Leaves, comes back. Get a physical. I will be back for you, my desert flower. (laughs) The cast in Cannonball Run is amazing. When I was watching the commentary, they talked about how at the beginning of the movie, you've seen the Lamborghini just scream down these roads, and it's like Burt Reynolds and then Dom DeLuise. It's these single-name cards, right? When it was first played, like opening night, people started to cheer I mean, the the cast in this movie is amazing. Right. And it was, I mean, it was another one of those that they had these big plans, but it wasn't until Bert said, five million for four weeks? I don't need to see the script. Once he was in, everyone else fell into place. You had your Rat Pack guys, and the part of Sammy Davis Jr. was actually supposed to be played by Don Rickles at first. But because Dom DeLuise was in the movie and Don Rickles had this kind of competition going about who was the best in Las Vegas at the time, he was like, nah, I don't want to be in that movie. And yeah. so Sammy Davis comes in, you know, is it a Jewish name? Samuel Work. And because uh, <laughs> you're small. <laughs> I say mall. God is our co pilot. What? Where's he going to sit? We only got two seats. <laughs> So they make the movie, and after the movie comes out, Frank Sinatra, who wasn't in the movie, is like, "Why didn't I get to be in the movie? Everybody else got the movie. I didn't get to be in the movie." <laughs> so they put him in. They put him in part two. Which, by the way, Hal Needham said, "I was always the first guy on the set." But when Frank was there for his shooting, I arrived to the set, and he had he was already done with makeup and waiting for me. He That's flew really in cool. on his own little private jet, did his scene, and out like a pro. The chairman of the board. 
Okay, so one super famous guy that you haven't mentioned yet is Peter Fonda. Right, 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 right. Peter Fonda was the leader of the motorcycle gang, which is perfect because not too long before this movie, he had done Easy Rider, the motorcycle movie, right? Right, right. Hal Needham's cameraman was actually a friend of Peter Fonda's, and Peter Fonda heard about the movie and said, hey, could I be in the movie? (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, this movie is just about a bunch of these guys getting together and having a good time. It really is. It's just fun. You don't have to come in with any expectations. You just get in there and you see them all having fun together and you're along for the ride. It is wonderful. I have fun every time I watch this movie. It's like being a part of a, you know, something special. You know, it's, they talked about how at the hotel they stayed in every night as a group, They'd wrap up, they'd get some drinks, yeah. they'd watch dailies. Uh-huh. He would invite the crew to watch the dailies, which was uncommon. Usually yeah. it would just be the actors watching their own performances in the dailies. But he invited the crew because he figured, hey, if the guys who spent, you know, eight hours shooting this scene the day before are laughing at it, that means that we did something right, right? That's exactly right. If he went into a bar and his, some of his crew was in the bar, he would never let him buy a drink. He was really a very down-to-earth director. And then he, you know, we talked about the famous people that he put in there. He had his his secretary was in there. She was one of the people taking the yeah. entry cards. The other lady was Brock Yates' wife. He put his business manager in there. She's the one at the end screaming, help, help my baby, he's drowning. Uh-huh. And then you remember the scene where the two priests where Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. are over there talking about how to pick up the girls in the bar. Yeah, yeah. The guy's just listening in and eventually does a spit take. That was his accountant. That was the accountant for the movie. Let's come on. Let's just be a part of it. Let's all do this fun thing together. That is what defines these movies to me is we're not looking at some sort of marvelous cinematic epic thing we're looking at people getting together and having a good time and inviting us along for the ride that's right that's right here's something for you to look for the next time you watch cannibal run okay the continuity errors with adrian barbo's zipper (laughs) (laughs) i'm not kidding when uh, she's pulled over in pennsylvania it's up it's down it's up it's down she unzips it once it's it's funny i think she liked to play with her zipper a little bit (laughs) that guy who played the cop in pennsylvania the guy that she's dazzling with her zipper is burt reynolds stand-in yeah and you can tell just by looking at him he looked he's got the same mustache same kind of dark hair and that was his stand-in oh you know who else is in cannibal run you've got bianca jagger who is mick jagger's wife Right. The sheep sister. sister. You had Joe Klecko, who played nose tackle or nose guard for the New York Jets. He was the guy who's lifting up the van instead yeah. of using the jack. And he was actually lifting that van. That guy was a big mother effer. He was yeah. huge. He's huge. You have Jimmy the Greek. Yeah. Awkward story there. Along <laughs> with the political incorrectness of these movies. Right. Uh, you get Jimmy the Greek. I love it when Sammy Davis Jr. comes up and says, Sir James! Like, <laughs> calls him Sir James for some reason. <laughs> We've got God as our co-pilot. <laughs> You're going to need him. <laughs> I'm talking about 20 big, large ones. (laughs) (laughs) Sammy Davis Jr. is hilarious in this movie. Oh, brilliant. Just brilliant. All right, everybody, please stick around. We will be right back after these messages. All right, let's flip back to Smoking the Bandit. Okay. So they make it to Texarkana in like 10 minutes, right? Right. Right. 
which is funny because this was not shot in Texarkana, Texas. This was shot no. in Jonesboro, Georgia. Okay? Right. Cletus's yep. house, the, the place where they shot Cletus's house, yeah. and the warehouse where they pick up all the beer, yeah. where they use the forklift where he can drive any forking thing around. <laughs> That yes. was about half a mile from that house. Nice. But the, the first scene I really want to talk to you about is when Sally Field leaves the wedding, her own wedding. She leaves Junior at the altar. Right. Bandit picks her up. They take off. And the car left behind says just married on it. There's some vandals that come and show up, right? My favorite freaking part. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Gleason shows up. Don't you leave. Don't get no lunch. <laughs> Don't play, don't play with yourselves. <laughs> you can think about it, but don't do it. <laughs> I like how he's such a respected bad A. He walked up to the first guy and he's like, you look tired, boy. Rest yourself. Turns around like immediately spreads him, you know. Oh, knees him in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he walks up and kicks that guy in the butt and he's like, that was an attention getter. <laughs> That part is hilarious, and it establishes that Jackie Gleason is somebody who's serious and not to be messed with, right? Right. But and also then hilarious. Gets out of the car in his tux, and it's at that point. You know, it's weird to me that they explain the illegality of transporting Coors beer across state lines about three times in this movie in order to <laughs> right. make sure you understand it. But they just kind of cruise on over the fact that Junior's in the tux and that's his bride. It takes, they don't give you that explanation. You just got to, you got to kind of get there. Right. Uh, which is good. I mean, it's good that they don't dumb it down for you, but it's interesting they decided to dumb down the Coors things and as if anybody couldn't figure that part out. Okay, there's a scene where the cops are on to Bandit and he takes him down a country road and he realizes, oh crap, the bridge is out. So he says, that's not good. Turns around, cops are coming. He said, and that's even worse. When he wheels around, he's going to jump this bridge and they hit this spectacular bridge jump in the movie. Yeah. That jump, when you see it on film... That yeah. car is so high in the air. It's freaking unbelievable. It's Dukes of Hazard times 10. Right. So Hal Needham has this deal with rockets. Like that's his, <laughs> his, his special deal. One of the first movies that you see a car flip it, like they had to try to figure out how to flip a car over on the beach, right? Yes. And, yes. you know, normally when you flip a car over, you're going to have to have like a bush or another car or something like that to create the ramp so that the car can be flipped. But they're out trying to do this on the beach and they don't know how to do it. And so Hal Needham says, well, why don't we just put a rocket in the floorboard? And of course, Hal Needham's the stuntman at this point. He's going <laughs> to drive the car. They put the rocket in the floorboard. He's driving his car, and he says they hit the rocket, and all of a sudden I realized I was 60 feet in the air and going backwards, and I thought, this is not going according to plan. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said the pain was something that morphine didn't seem to have any effect on. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is an amazing guy. Like I, I don't know if we I, talked off air or not, but – but Hal yeah. Needham is a guy that I would love to have his life for like a few days. So Stunt he man, would, director, tons of Hollywood friends and girls and parties. and Right, yeah. Well, that's the interesting social connection because most of the people who were in Cannonball Run, he got to know through like these Hollywood parties that he would go to with his wife. Like his wife was this actress named Danny Crane who's just – 
absolutely gorgeous. I mean, she she potentially is another Marilyn Monroe or Jane Mansfield. Yeah, but she, yeah. she goes to these Hollywood parties, and that's how he ends up meeting half of the people that are in Cannonball Run. And I said to you earlier, I. I don't, you know, I got nothing to prove this, but I got a strong impression that there's a lot of, there's a lot of swinging yeah. <laughs> happening. In two swing, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a lot of swinging going Did on. Did you just say it's in two swing? Yeah. <laughs> Racing Arizona. Yes. <laughs> I get the impression that there's some uh, cocaine and some swinging, for sure. Yeah. Pontiac gave them four Trans Ams to use during the course of the filming of this movie. On that bridge jump, they totally destroyed one car. Yeah, they had four Pontiac Trans Ams. By the way, about four years ago, they introduced a Bandit special Trans Am. Do you know about this? You sent this to me. I want one. I got to have one. Oh, well, they only made 77 of them. How awesome is that? It's amazing. 77, because the year Bandit came out was 77. It was supposed to be a 77 Trans Am. Although, I think what they did, actually, is they put the the front of the 77 on the back, or on the car of a 76. But yeah, by the time this movie was over, all of, all of the four that they had received, plus a couple of other extra cars, had been totally demolished. And like three of them became the parts for the fourth one that could still still drive down the road. Right. I want to talk briefly about Fred, the Basset Hound (laughs) (laughs) and the beauty contest. Yeah. Or the ugly, is it the ugly contest? I'm not sure. Ugly contest. Yes. (laughs) So before the movie started, they had a contest to bring your dog up to, for a chance to be in the movie. And Burt Reynolds was the judge and he picked Fred, the Basset Hound who is actually named happy. (laughs) picked him chiefly because it refused to obey any commands. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Fred, Fred, get on on back here. (laughs) Buford T. Justice was the name of a real Florida highway patrolman known to Burt Reynolds' father, who was once the chief of police in Jupiter, Florida. And I also thought it was funny that Burt Reynolds' dad used the term some all the time. Yeah, some Where are you, you some Do you remember when Jerry Reed was in that episode of Scooby-Doo? It's like the ghost that haunts the Grand Old Opry, and they I kidnapped honestly, Jerry Reed. I might actually kind of remember that. <laughs> you just like opened a drawer in a small <laughs> cabin on the mental mansion that has not been opened in about <laughs> 35 years. It's just, what? What did? Yes, I think I do remember that. What? <laughs> the way they found him in Scooby-Doo was they just they told him just to sing, and so it was a chance for him to have this song montage while they looked around for him. <laughs> Well, it looks like that does it for this episode. Jason, just send the bill to Big Enos Burdett. Uh, uh, Big Big Enos Burdett. Uh, B uh, B U uh, B B. Hell, I got to go. He's bound to die, loaded up and trucking. 